0: We're talking about beware of the traps this week. They catch men. And I want you to realize you're living in a world of traps. There's traps all over the place, and they're meant to catch you. And we're actually going to be talking about render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So this is the opportunity to talk about the government and that sort of thing. And uh, So it'll be, either you're going to be liking me or hating me at the end of this, but this is what I have for you today. So beware of the traps. They catch men. in Matthew twenty-two fifteen through 22. Please stand as we read the word of God. We honor God by standing when we read his word. Yes, we do. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him, trap him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God and truth. Nor do you care about anyone for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render, therefore, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they had heard these things, they marveled and left him and went their way. This is the word of God. God. Our Father, we are greatly thankful to be in this place today with the body of Christ, joined together as one heart, one unit, worshiping our Lord and Savior, the Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. There is nothing like corporate worship where we are together encouraging one another even more as we see the day approaching. Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, Lord, give us soft hearts ready to receive from you today the things that you have specifically for each one of us. Speak to us, Lord, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know for the, I don't know, 100th time, that the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. I want you to never, ever forget Every week we mention this. Jesus is the promised king, the king that is coming. There is a kingdom coming, and you are being trained in Jesus' school right now for that kingdom. We are to be transitioning from our old self into our new self and to becoming more and more like Christ in preparation for our new home. We're dual citizens here. You'll hear that a couple times in this talk. We are citizens of this world, but this is not where we live permanently, this is all temporary. We think it's permanent. You know, you're doing everything you can to keep it permanent. You're taking vitamins. When you get old, you take collagen. When you get older, you take chondroitin for your joints and all that stuff. You take turmeric. That's always a good one to take. You're trying to to keep this thing going. It's not going to keep going. We're moving on to our real home. There is a kingdom coming. Thank the Lord for that. Now, we're talking about Jesus last week of his life. And we're talking about Tuesday, which he accomplished many things on Tuesday of that last week. If you remember, he cast out the money changers from the temple on the Tuesday of the last week. On Tuesday, the, the, the temple wasn't being used for its prescribed purpose. He also cursed the fig tree, which was Israel. Remember, it's a picture of Israel. They weren't fulfilling their prescribed purpose. And then he has three, actually, talks that he gives, three parables that he gives and it's talking to the Pharisees in particular, the parable of the two sons, the parable of the landowner, and the parable of the marriage feast. And each one of these, he's impugning the nation of Israel for rejecting him, for not receiving him. Now, remember the parable of the marriage feast that God sent prophets out. He sent, he sent messengers out and to invite the nation of Israel in. So prophet after prophet goes to the nation of Israel, inviting them. And the nation rejected him. Surely if they sent his son that they would receive the message. And they send his son, and Jesus is predicting his own death. And they kill the son. And so what does God do? He doesn't stop there. He sends messengers out to the Gentiles. He'll have a people for himself, a people that will serve him. Now, the Jewish people, because they rejected the Messiah, they have to go through an awful, awful time. And you know that time is... The tribulation period, and we've mentioned this many times, you're in a church that teaches a lot about Bible prophecy, so you're familiar with this term, but Jesus talked about the tribulation in Matthew 24, 21 through 22, it'll come up on the screen, hear these familiar words of our, of our Lord, for then there will be great tribulation, such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. And then he makes this profound statement about the tribulation. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. No humans would live through all of those seals, trumpets, bowl judgments, and the wrath of the Antichrist, which is poured out at the second half of the tribulation where he's trying to kill every Jewish person on on the planet and every believer in Messiah. No one would be saved alive. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. The thing that you want to know is this. Anyone who rejects Jesus' invitation, he says, and they're coming to the, remember they came in, this person came into the wedding feast dressed in the wrong garments, and Jesus spotted them. And he cast that guy out into outer darkness where there'll be what? Wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then we had a picture here. I don't know if this is this picture. Yes, this is the wailing and gnashing of teeth guy. This is what you're going to feel like forever. Why did I do what I'm doing? Why did I do what I'm doing? Rejecting Jesus is a huge deal. It is not a, a simple, a trivial thing. It is a huge deal. Now, this week, beware of the traps. They catch men. We're going to start in verse 15 and 16a. The trappers are going to be the Pharisees and the Herodians this time. Then the Pharisees always the nemesis of Jesus, went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. Good luck, Pharisees. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians. Now remember, when you're going to approach Jesus and you're going to confront him, they always want a group. A whole bunch of people against Jesus. Well, that's, that, that methodology is not going to work. Jesus is going to be very aware of their trap. So the important thing that you need to know is in Jesus' world, for sure, and in our world, we are living in a world of traps. And might I say they are all over the place, meant to capture you. Jeremiah the prophet, Jeremiah chapter 5, 26, says this. Now come up on the screen. For among my people, among my people, there's all kinds of traps and snares. Among my people are found wicked men. They lay in wait as those who set snares they set a trap they catch men they want to catch you catch you trap you kill you that's what the goal is now these guys in their foolishness think they're going to trap jesus now they don't know jesus is god jesus knows he is god and you cannot trap jesus they're the ones that are going to end up being trapped but I want you to suggest to you something. Why are they trying to trap Jesus? And I think it's because they fear Jesus. They fear his message. They fear his effect on the people. And they fear them losing their control and their power to Jesus. In our world today, Christians are, are feared by so many nations and people groups. If you live in a communist country, they're scared to death that your Christian ideology will permeate the culture and cause a change cause a change in the culture. They feared Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus, and most of the world today, they want to kill Christians today. We, I think we know that. It's pretty plain. Remember who the world is following, though. Remember it. Who is the ruler of this age? Several times, Satan is. He's called the god of this age in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And remember who Satan is. He's always going to present to you as an angel of light, as some sort of wonderful, light, bright thing. He always brings to you trinkets that are going to be attractive to you, but his goal is your demise. Satan is a murderer, he is a liar, and he hates mankind. John 8, could not say it clear. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a what? A liar, and the father of lies. Our world is immersed in darkness, folks, and it hates the light. You're living in a world that hates the light. Jesus said in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. Whoever comes to me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You hear that? The light of life. If you come to Jesus, put your trust in Jesus, believe in Jesus as your Savior, you're going from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. There's a radical change. A radical change in your existence now and in your future forever. Light. And because you are following Jesus, the light, Jesus said to those who follow him, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Whoever follows me, not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Whoever, whoever follows me, will the world will know that you are mine by the works that you do, the things that you do, that sort of thing. You are the light of the world. Isn't it amazing? We are called to be light in the culture. Not to have our little light snuffed out, but to impact our culture for our Lord. That is what we're called to do. That is our mission. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your fathers in heaven. Your life matters. How you conduct your life, how you're living your life matters. It matters in this thing called the kingdom struggle now why do people reject the light why do you ever wonder that why do people reject the light well John 3 19 says it perfectly this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil people love their sin sin is fun for a moment there's nobody snorting coke You know, uh, committing adultery, it's always fun for that moment, but it's the price that is paid that is always forgotten until after the fact, the cost on humanity. It's terrible. It's darkness. The Pharisees and Herodians, by the way, they're coming together, and they hated one another. It's unusual that they would bond together, but they hated Jesus more than they hated one another. The Pharisees were the religious folks. The Herodians were the ones that were connected with the state. The state is supreme. They were connected to Herod worship and that sort of thing. Our world today, as you know, we're living in a man-centered world where the man is supreme. Secular humanism has now crept into our society as God has been kind of cast out of our culture. And more and more, people are worshiping the human Worshiping the creation instead of the creator. That is what we see today. Okay, I think we would agree on that. So, I want you to suggest to you that it's very important that we are aware of the world's philosophy traps. The world philosophy traps. And this world has a philosophy that is very counter to Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.8 says it perfectly. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies that depend on human traditions or the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Philosophies. Phileo is the first part of that word. It means love. Sophia is wisdom. It's the love of worldly wisdom. Now, in 1970, John Lennon wrote a song. And have you ever heard this song? You've hummed it to yourself, and you sung along with it because you thought that song was good, too not just me. You know what that song is? Imagine. 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 A, a kingdom of humanity supreme without God. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. I mean, I could not think of something sadder. I, this, this, is, this would not be, I, mean, I can't, this is the saddest thing that you can ever hear. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No, John. Somebody needs to speak the truth that well, I can't anymore, but Need, somebody needed to speak the truth to John. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. What is happening now? Borders coming down. It isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion to. Imagine all the people living in peace. I don't know what this guy is. I had this thing. I, it was too late for me to put these, this picture in here. I already put umpteen thousand pictures. I skipped a week. Of teaching, so then I can embellish this teaching like mad. And so I put too many pictures in. But anyway, this picture was going to show all the wars that are going on in our world today. People living together, in conflict galore all over the place. You may say, I am a dreamer. Yes, you are, John, but I am not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. This is the passionate plea, folks, for a one world government. Folks, beware of the world philosophy traps. This sounds good to those people that don't know the truth. Humans aspiring to be their greatest and being the human God. No, there is one God and we are under God. The kingdom will come and it will be great when the kingdom comes. Not before then. It's going to get worse and worse as you see. How about this next one? Beware of the love trap. The love trap. The world cries loud and clear, anything is welcomed as long as it's covered by love. Remember? All we need is boom, 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 boom. All we need is love. Yeah, you got it. I'll tell you, there are things that Jesus does not love. Do you know that? There are things that Jesus does not love. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, it'll come up on the screen. Do not When you see do not in Scripture, that is an imperative in the Greek. That is a command to the people of God. Do not love the world. When you see world, think world system. Under the control of the evil one, the ruler of this age. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in this world system, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. This will not last forever. Hip, hip, hooray. That's right. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. The ones who are saved and have come to a knowledge of the truth and said, yes, I believe in you, Jesus Christ, as my Savior. You will live forever. That's the reason for hope that we have. Loud and clear, God says he hates the world system under the control of the ruler of this age. We are, while we are here, we are not to world think, world act, world walk, but we are to God think, God act, and God walk. We are representing somebody greater than us, greater than us. Our citizenship, folks, is in heaven. Temporarily we are here with dual citizenship. So we're anchored here for a time, very short time. How long is your life? It is but a vapor here for a moment and gone, but we'll be in eternity forever. What you do with Jesus here means everything, everything. Now watch verse 16b and 17. These guys think they're going to set a trap for Jesus. The trappers set the trap. Verse 16b, teacher, what's the flattery here? Teacher, we know you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And they think they have Jesus right by the throat, right by the throat. This is one of Satan's traps. And I will say loud and clear, beware of the flattery trap in your own life. Beware of people that are overwhelmingly flattering, flattering. The word is defined as this. It'll come up on the screen. Flattery is when excessive and insincere praise is given to a person or an audience, especially to further one's own interest. That's always connected to flattery. Flattery can be used to persuade people into believing your contention, your argument, your belief system. People can be persuaded not by the strength of the argument, but can be tricked by flattery into believing the contention. Flattery trap. Flattery trap. Watch what they do to Jesus. We know you are true Jesus. They hate Jesus' guts. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. You're not a face looker, Jesus. They were right there. But they're trying to trap Jesus. Beware of the flattery trap. Satan is an expert. And don't, don't underestimate this. Satan is an expert with trapping people. His goal is your demise. He has been in this business. Well, I'm going to tell you how many years. Billions of years. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Calvary Chapel students. Yes, thousands of years, about 6,000 years to be precise. So he's got some experience in dealing with humans. He's dealt with this. He knows what the traps are. He knows what we fall for. So he's an expert. His goal is your demise. And think about this. In the traps that are set for you, there's always some real cheese in a rat trap. There's always some truth Mixed with lies. That's how Satan works. I have two slides here. One's a little mouse getting ready to be dropped into this trap. Now, he's just loving this. He doesn't know that he's going to be dead in just a second as he falls for this little thing that's just made for him. And the next slide, I just wanted to show you this, that there's landmines all over the place. And you might be stepping on a trap and you have no idea what you're getting into as your life unravels right before your eyes have you taken the bait and satan has you right where he wants you folks this is the life of many people today many people today trapped and that most don't even know it their life is miserable they live in in just, just disarray and they just they can't understand what's going on folks people need jesus they it's really the answer to these traps they need jesus after the flat after the flattery the trappers set the trap is it lawful to pay taxes to caesar or not now what they are discussing here is something called the poll tax p-o-l-l tax that rome levied on the jewish people john macarthur describes this tax this way the poll tax was the most hated tax of all that rome was burdened the people with it suggested that rome owned them And viewed Israel as their nation the poll tax demonstrated one's loyalty to Rome and the Jews hated this more than any other tax the poll tax now listen if Jesus answered these questions wrong he was going to be in trouble if Jesus answered no to the question the Herodians the politicians would have charged him with treason treason To the government if they answer if he answered yes the Pharisees would say you're disloyal to the nation disloyal to the nation they're setting the trap now remember the setting is if you remember from our last teaching it's Passover week tens of thousands of thousands of people are in the temple area Jesus is doing this teaching in the temple area this confrontation happens in front of these masses of people they want to impugn Jesus They want to impugn Jesus as a public entrapment. But you cannot trap God. These trappers are learning something. No one can trap God. And I have this little chess picture here. Every time Satan goes a move, God goes check. And one of these days, it's going to be mate. Boom. And that satanic king will fall. And all I can say is hip, hip, hooray. That's right. Verse 18 and 19, Jesus is going to call out the trappers. Then Jesus perceived, if you have an NIV, it says knowing their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? I mean, Jesus wasn't gentle with these guys. Show me the tax money. So they brought to him a denarius, which is a day's wage for a Roman soldier. So the sequence of events, just so you have this in order, the flattery, Jesus knows their wickedness. And then Jesus says, why do you test me? The word test is parizo. doesn't mean anything to you, but it means something to me. A a, a test can be either for your good or for your bad. When Satan tests you, it is for your demise. When God tests us, it's to prove our mettle, and it's for our growth. Satan is an expert of traps. He wants Jesus to stumble. He wants to have Jesus give the wrong answer in front of all these people, He wants the people, these Pharisees and Herodians want these people to turn against Jesus. And Jesus sees through the charade. And in the presence of these thousands of people listening to the Herodians and the Pharisees interact with Jesus, Jesus says these words, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you mask wearers, you phony liars. And remember, Satan is the greatest hypocrite of all, and he whispers into your ear what you want to hear. I want you to be aware of something. Satan is a masquerader. Be aware of the masquerade trap. Things are not as they appear. Hopefully, you realize that by now. When you're listening to the news, things are not as they appear. You are not hearing things as they really are. You go to university. You go to university as a Christian man or a woman, and 80% come out of university, particularly if you're studying the sciences, not believing in God anymore. It's a tragedy, a tragedy. Masquerader, 2 Corinthians 11:13 13 through 15, talks about this. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves. That word transforming is... Transform the external appearance, but the internal being is still corrupt, decayed, hypocritical. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. mask transform themselves into apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing his ministers. Yes, Satan has ministers masquerading as real ministers being transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Satan and his followers are mask wearers and hypocrites. And I would say to you, be wise in who you listen to. Be wise in what you take in as truth. And I'm telling you, there's never been a time in this country where we have been lied to more than we are today. We really are. I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but we are. I used to trust the news. Three years ago, three years ago, I thought I was getting some reliable news from one of the news agencies, whose sense has proven not to be a reliable source. And since then, I am the biggest skeptic that you can ever imagine. I wasn't a conspiracy person. I, there was not. I, I believed all these people were crazy. I would look at you and say, oh, yeah, you're a conspiracy. Yeah, okay, that's nice. That's nice. That's, uh, uh-huh. I'm in now. I'm in. <laughs> that doesn't mean it's brilliant, but it's, I, find, I, I came along slow, okay? <laughs> now, get ready for the brilliance of Jesus on display. Watch how he interacts with these guys that think they have him. Verse 20 and 22. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's, and then he says, and then they thought they had him right by the throat. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they're going, what? Huh? When they had heard these words, they marveled. They admired him. They were amazed at him and left him and went their way. Amazed at Jesus. Now, I want you to see something here. Whenever you think about Jesus' tactics and how he deals with people, whether he's dealing with people confronting him or people that he's trying to educate and come into the family of God, he asks questions. He asks questions. So he's going to ask these guys a question. Jesus' tactic is to ask questions. In any dispute or disagreements, you want to have a methodology on how to approach somebody. We're not there to beat somebody up, beat them on the head or something like that. We want to lovingly give people the truth. Greg Kokel, in his book Tactics, gives three tactics that help us in disputing for the truth. Okay? Ask questions. Number one is this. And it buys you time. When someone stuns you with some off-the-wall thing and you're going, where's that coming from? You turn it back on the person. What do you mean by that? That buys you time to think. They get your act together to remember Greg Kochel's steps, okay? What, what do you mean by that? Puts emphasis back on the other person. And then you think about this. You ask them this question. How did you come to that conclusion? Everybody believes evolution's true. But what do you mean by evolution? And then they have to explain themselves. And then what do you mean? What do, what do you mean how did you come to that conclusion? Because 999 well, 999% did not come to this on their own. They were told by someone. They never did the research themselves. The same thing with with all world religions are the same. What do you mean by that? Have you studied this? Have you studied the difference between Christianity and Hinduism and Buddhism and, and Islam? Have you studied the difference? No, they haven't. Most, the vast majority have not. So they have to process this. And then you have the opportunity, have you ever considered... That's your chance to give a biblical worldview or at least share the truth. Have you considered? Jesus asked the question, whose inscription is this? Whose image and inscription is this? And they say Caesar's. And notice what Jesus is doing to the Pharisees in particular. He's telling the Pharisees that are things that we are to do for the government that are the government's business. And they were offended by this. The Herodians are going hip, hip, hooray. But the Pharisees, the real confronters of Jesus, they are ticked off by this statement. The Pharisees and Herodians, I think, are both blown away by Jesus' response. They marveled, admired him, and left him and went their way. Now listen, love him or hate him, you cannot but admire Jesus. You cannot but, you know that every world religion, excluding the zealots in those religions who try to kill Christians. But if you look at Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, Confucianism, Confucianism, Confucianism <laughs> all those isms, uh, they think favorably, they speak favorably about Jesus in all of their teachings. They, they come away admired at Jesus. Love him or hate him, you cannot help but admire him. Now, closing thoughts. This is going to be rather lengthy, closing thought, Okay. I'm going to Remember, the focus here is traps, traps in our world, the world citizen trap. You're living in the world, and there's a world citizen expectation that is being given to you today to be a good global thinker. You want to walk lockstep with the UN and those agencies that want you to be a good global citizen. Okay, so that's what we're looking at here. Just go along, get along, don't you dare make any waves. Don't make waves. In a sense, believers are dual citizens. We live here, work here, our homes are here, we vote here. Folks, you're probably going to die here unless, unless what happens? The rapture comes. Yes, yes. But we do not belong here. Do you feel that? Do you feel more estranged than ever in this world? I bet you do. I bet you do. We are expected. Now listen to this. We are expected as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to obey the laws of the land. Wherever God has placed us. But we are temporary citizens on visa. Our real citizenship is not here. It is with God. Now I have another musical phenom you heard of john lennon now you're going to hear cass elliott's view of the world she wrote a she didn't write the song but she sang the song there's a new world coming right about the same time john lennon had his go out it says this there's a new and she this is almost prophetic there's a new world coming it's just around the bend there's a new world coming this one's coming to an end You know, they could even sense God in the 70s. Something's messed up here. This thing's got in. That's 1970. Well, I thought the rapture was going to come by 1980. We read late great planet Earth, as you know. There's a new voice calling. Oh, really? It's the same old demonic voice. You can hear it if you try. It's growing stronger with each day that passes by. There's a new world coming as one we've had visions of. Coming in peace, coming in joy. Coming in love, love, love covers everything. Yes, there's a new world coming, folks, but it is not this world. There will be a temporary new world coming with the Antichrist, but the real new world coming is the kingdom. What we're studying about, the kingdom is coming. What did Jesus say? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's right. So we look forward to our real, our real eternal home. Hebrews 11:13 13 through 16. You know this as the faith chapter. These faith champions that died in faith. Notice what is said here by the Hebrew writers. The, the Hebrew writers. These all died in faith. Not. Not having received the promises. Folks, we're here and things are going to get rough. Our promises that we're going to get a new world is coming. This is not your best life now. I don't care what anybody tells you. This is not it. We have something to look forward to, forward to. Not having received the promise, but having seen them from afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confess that they were what? Strangers and pilgrims on the This world is not my home. For those who seek such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland another place that's what we're looking forward to and truly if they had called to mind that country in which they come out they would have had opportunity to return but now they desire a better that is a heavenly country therefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he has prepared a city for you you know what that city is that city is the new jerusalem you remember from our revelation study I have a picture that's going to come up here. You'll remember it. The New Jerusalem, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. It's going to come and settle on the earth. I would doubt on America or Canada. But anyway, it's coming to settle on the earth, okay? Probably it's over Jerusalem, over here. But 1,500 miles, it's a huge cube, a huge cube. It covers over half the United States. Now, I want you to think about this. Randy Elkhorn has this to say. Again, we're dual citizens. We have a responsibility here, but our home is future. Excuse me. My arrow points up to this part of the page. So Randy Alcorn says this. This is for the bride. Remember, the New Jerusalem is for the bride. It's for the church. A metropolis of this size in the middle of the United States would stretch from Canada to Mexico and from the Appalachian Mountains to California border. The New Jerusalem is all the square footage anyone could ask for. And then he goes on to say this: "We don't need to worry that heaven will be crowded. The ground level of the city will be nearly two million square miles. This is 40 times bigger than England, 15 times 1,000 times bigger than London, 10 times as big as France or Germany, and far larger than India. But remember, that's just the ground level. It's a cube. Given the dimensions of this 1,500-mile cube, if the city consisted in different levels, and if each story were a generous 12-feet high, he's giving his opinion on this, the city could have over 600,000 stories. If they were on different levels, billions of people could occupy the New Jerusalem with many square miles per person. Your neighbors will never bother you again. (laughs) But if they do bother you, they're perfect. (laughs) They're perfect. Yes, that's right. The new Jerusalem. The question is this. What do we do? We're here now. We're here now. We're here now. And our responsibility as dual citizens can come in conflict with the changing world system. It can. It really can. I want you to hear this loud and clear, and I, think, I believe this is what God wants us to know about this thing with government and that sort of thing. God has established governments, and Christians are to be good, exemplary citizens in that government. But if the government is against the precepts of God, we cannot obey. We're not trying to be mean. We're not trying to be nasty. We're not trying to be cantankerous. We're not trying to be any of those things. We must obey God instead of man. uh, Peter says it exactly that way in Acts 5.29. We ought to obey God rather than man. Now, there's a trap that you want to not ignore. Beware of the ignoring God trap in in response to what our responsibility is to the government. We have the duty of every believer is to be a good, godly citizen in that community. Romans 13.1 gives us clear instructions about our dual citizenship. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Seems pretty simple. 1 Peter 2.13, we're to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. That word subject, there's no question about what that means. The word is hypotasso, and it's to place in an orderly fashion under something, under a superior. We are to, you know, be compliant with the government as much as we can. God has established a government for the protection of humanity. From the lawlessness of humanity. And believers are to to submit to that government unless told by that government to disobey God. Then we cannot. We cannot. Now I want you to think about something. Think about the time of Jesus. Think about the time of the apostles. Think about the early church and all those Christians that died in the Colosseums. And they're lit up on the roads and that sort of thing. On crosses. Rome was evil. Rome was immoral rome was killing christians by the bucketfuls rome was immersed in the world the flesh and the devil yet jesus did not advocate a revolt against rome overtly jesus did not advocate a violent overthrow of government no matter how despotic that government was what did jesus advocate for his followers to speak the truth in the culture And if you died, you died. It was just that simple, folks. It's not complex. I'm telling you the truth. And this is counter to what a lot of people are feeling, I think, in your bones right now. But hang on. As believers in Christ, we are to speak the truth and keep speaking the truth. Now, I want you to think about something. We are in a battle, a war for minds, a war for the truth. Okay, you know this. And I do not think we can be non-offensive Christians in this battle. There's no middle ground for non-offensive Christians. There is not. There is not. What happens in war? There's no middle of the road. What happens in war? Bridges are, are bombed. Roads are bombed. Railways are torn up. People are killed in war. Happens all the time. There's no middle road. You cannot deal with a Hitler or a Stalin or a Mao with soft, middle-of-the-road Christianity. You cannot. You must be all in. What are we to be? We are to be lovers of people who want to silence us. We are. We're called to do that as the people of God. Impossible in our natural. This is supernatural stuff I'm talking about. Supernatural. And we are to be ambassadors of jesus christ in the culture second corinthians five twenty says it perfectly we are therefore christ ambassadors you know what an ambassador is we're representatives of jesus we show the world jesus he is reflect we are reflecting to the world jesus in us we have that responsibility we are ambassadors of christ so god we're making his appeal through us and what is the appeal for we implore you on behalf of christ Be reconciled to God. Be brought back into right relationship with God. Believe in Jesus Christ and be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That is what our plea is. Now, we are living in a changing America. I have some founding fathers quotes about a republic. Ben Franklin said this, A free people cannot survive under a republic constitution Unless they remain virtuous and morally strong. Only virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become corrupt and vicious, they have more need of masters. Ben Franklin. Now, if you did not know, uh, Dale DeMarill has a home group, and he goes through a lot of stuff that has to do with defending the faith and apologetics and, and our country and what is based on and that sort of thing. And I read a couple of his papers here most recently, so it really turned me on to this. If you ever have a chance to listen or get some of that work, I would advise you to get it. It is excellently done. Very informative. Very informative. George Washington says this about a republic. Without without religion, the government of a free people. Now, right now, you are free people. Enjoy that freedom. Bask in that freedom. Because it is important. You are free people. Without religion, the government of a free people cannot be maintained. Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. And let us, caution, caution indul- but let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion, as humanists want to do. George Washington. Now, hear this loud and clear. This summary is what I think is true. If the people are corrupt, if the people have no backbone, the republic will be corrupt and will not stand. America, as it was founded, cannot stand without morality within its people, without a God conscience. And folks, I want to say loud and clear, because you are hearing this today, beware of the government God trap. The government God trap. And you know, Jason has expounded on this very nicely. Give you everything and own nothing and be happy. You know what that is? Communism 101. And I want to suggest to you, there aren't people running to break down the walls to get into China. They're trying to get out, okay? What America is experiencing today is called soft totalitarianism. Make no mistake, it's soft totalitarianism. What is totalitarianism? It's defined as the following. Well, let me just say this before we get that. People run from totalitarian regimes. Totalitarianism is described this way. It comes up on the screen a government that takes total centralized state control over every aspect of public and private life. Think about the next word here, police terror. What have you seen recently with our FBI? I'm not talking about the local police, which I consider our friends, by the way, at least most of them. Some of them can be off the the wall. How about indoctrination, you know that's going on, propaganda and censorship, you know that's going on, religious or ethnic persecution. Now, these guys were experts at this. Stalin and Hitler could have had Mao on here if they had a picture of all three of them. These guys were responsible for literally millions, 30 million under this guy, tens of millions under this guy, and Mao, another 30 to 60 million, died because they just were against what they wanted to do with the government. And they paid the price of death, mostly any believers dead. So totalitarianism, this isn't on your notes, so just listen. A totalitarian society is one in which the ideology seeks to displace all prior traditions. Now, what did you hear two, three years ago in the streets of America? Burn it down. Now, they didn't come up with that. Those kids running through the streets, crazy! That anarchist—they didn't come up with that. They—you know where they came up with that? That's what's taught in universities today. That's what your kids are learning when you're paying forty thousand dollars a year to get them indoctrinated. That's what they're—burn it down, burn down the prior institutions. The goal of bringing all aspects of society under their ideology. Jesus lived in a totalitarian totalitarian government. Rome, Caesars had absolute rule. They had a Senate. It was supposed to be a checks and balance system, but it was not. Those senators that objected to the Caesars, they ended up dying. So it was like a rubber stamp for Caesar. Christians today are living in a world that is transitioning to totalitarianism. You know what's going on. It's soft now, but you know that you know that the Antichrist system is coming. You see it right before your eyes. You cannot blind yourself to this. Soft totalitarianism, we still have a voice. We can still speak, not like China or North Korea. Voice, voice, we have a voice. And I want to suggest to you, this soft totalitarianism is starting out slow, and it's going to grow. Think of the Antichrist system. Antichrist comes on the scene, he comes on slow, and then he grows, much like this snowball going down the hill, and before you know it, wham, you have an avalanche of change. If there is not an intervention done at this point, this is inevitable. Now, God told us very specifically that this is coming. Now, what's going to be very important. How do we live in this world with this coming? That's the question. That's, the, that's what you're wondering. So I would suggest to you, we have to do something. To, how to avoid Christian passivity. Now, what's Christian passivity? Well, just like I was three years ago. It's not happening. I'm not hearing it. Don't bother me with that stuff. Okay? Put your head in the sand, hide, withdraw. This is what you must do live filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not time for toe in Christianity. That non confrontative, moderate, mediocre, lukewarm Christianity will not allow you to survive this. It will not. You need the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit, as we head into this avalanche of change. And then secondly, you have a voice. Speak out. Speak out in the public domain with the truth, the workplace, your families, your friends, your teams, whatever you are on. Speak the truth. Do it kindly. Now, you know what's happening in the culture. They are speaking first. The university professors are speaking first to your kids. It's supported by the media. They come out with it first. The government then comes out with a mandate first. And everybody says, oh, this is the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. You know what Proverbs 18, 17 says? The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. That's why they don't want you to examine. They want to shut down any speech. Don't allow that to come out. Don't allow a contrary view to come out. That's communism. That's totalitarianism. That is what is happening today as we are gradually reproaching the system. Next thing you do, by all means, now you might think this is foolish, but I think that we have the privilege in a free country of voting. Now you might think it's rigged and all that stuff, but do not sit on the sidelines, and I would suggest we overwhelm the ballot boxes. So if it's rigged, we overwhelm their attempt to cheat. Okay, I mean, that's all I can say. There's that, there's that supposition out there that that's happening. I mean, well, that's all I'll go with it. And number four, I think this is exceedingly important for the body of Christ. Stay connected, support one another. Remember like the geese flying honking, encouraging one another even more as we see the day approaching. We need one another. Many Christians today, listen to this, and this is the truth. And I understand this feeling. Many want to take up arms. It's easy to want to do this. To take up, is this what Jesus advocated? No. Many want to sit back and do nothing. Just blend in, go along to get along. Is this what Jesus advocated? No. Many want peace at all costs. Peace at all costs. Is this what Jesus advocated? No, he did not. He did not. Jesus advocated speaking the truth in love. Now with a sledgehammer in love, you tell them about the love of Jesus, that he came here, he died for you, he wants you to be part of his family. God has done everything for you. Christians today, think about this. You are being forced to accept many things, forced, forced, that are against Scripture. Homosexual marriage, folks, is a trap. That's against Scripture. Transgender ideologies is a trap. It's against Scriptures. How about the feminization of men and the masculinization of women? That's what's happening today. Woke ideologies, killing babies is right, open borders, accept lawlessness. This is all traps against the scripture. How about climate change? This is something that is huge, that is is, going to revolutionize the world today. Of course, China's not in on it. India's not in on it. It's just just the idiots in the West are in on it. I can tell you unequivocally, we want to be good stewards of the earth. We do. We do. We have a responsibility to take care of what God has given us. I have no problem with that. I have a problem with mankind destroying the earth. We will not destroy the earth. We can, but we will not. Jesus will come back, start a new kingdom, and we go into eternity in Revelation 21. Then there will be a new heaven and a new earth, done by God, all redone. This is a battle of worldviews, secular versus biblical. While we are free, and I want to emphasize that, while we are still free, engage with the truth. John eight thirty two. Jesus said it perfectly. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The trap, folks, is this. For the Christian, the trap is to give up. Don't. Don't give up. Don't walk away discouraged. Don't withdraw. And I have this slide that's going to come up, and it's a play off of 2 Timothy 2, seven, Fight, faith, finish. You've heard these before. i fought the good fight. i finished the race. I've kept the faith. The good fight is the fight for truth. Stand for your Savior. You have words of hope, words of truth. It is a trap to give up. It is a trap to give in to this world ideologies. And finish your race. And think about this everybody's race is different everybody's race is different you are not called to run the same race i'm called and i'm not called to run your race you have your own stuff that you're dealing with every one of us will have some sort of thing that we have to deal with keep the faith finish your race the temptation is to cave to the pressure to give in To change your values, to go along to get along, peace at all cost, keep the faith, don't give up. I must let the world know unequivocally. Let the world know there should be no secret service Christians here. We're still free. When it becomes totalitarian, then you're secret service Christians. But right now, you're free. I am a servant of the Most High God, and say it with a little bit of oomph, a little bit of grit. And through the Holy Spirit's power, I will never give up or give in to the cultural lies. The trap is to give up. While here as dual citizens, I will represent my Lord. You must be confirmed in this. Confirmed in it. Remember, it's a battle. No middle-of-the-road Christianity. May this be our battle cry. I will trust in the Lord until I die. Yes, there's a new world coming, folks. And in the meantime... Beware of the traps. They catch men. I have two pictures here. Don't fall for the traps. You have been warned. You know this. You know this. And I love this next one. It's a trap. It's a trap. Be careful. Be careful. It's a trap. It's a trap. Jeremiah 5.26. One more time. For among my people are found wicked men. And they are. They lie in wait as one who sets snares. They set a trap. They catch men. So my advice to you, when you're walking through the minefield, watch your step. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your spirit, the paracleto, that has come alongside to comfort us. You've given us your spirit to epi, come upon us to give us the power to do the impossible. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. God will give you the power to stand and you have the spirit of God in you, E-N within you, sealing you, knowing you belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, may we walk this world and walk out our life, not as those who are weak and trembling, but those who are walking in the power and might of your spirit. And may we have the courage to engage the culture around us while we are free. Take advantage of it, Lord. Help us to speak the truth in love to the people around us. Help us, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this teaching. In Jesus' name, amen.